This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusick. This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Tusick. On today's episode, I interview Carl Stollery. Carl is a former NHL uh, hockey player, and he's been playing the last couple years over in Europe, uh, Russia, in the KHL, the Russian League. Um, and he also uh, was a 2018 Olympian. He was on uh, Team Canada for the Winter Olympics in 2018 and won a bronze medal. Um, so I had noticed uh, Carl in a couple different Twitter spaces and consecutive nights that him and I were both in uh, discussing Bitcoin and, and kind of listening in on everything that was going on. So I reached out to him and I thought it'd be interesting to get his perspective um, to see where he is on his Bitcoin journey. Um, you know, and he's kind of in the discovery phase and learning. Um, but, you know, it's kind of perfect timing because he's transitioning, you know, eventually to be out of professional sports and, you know, you got to preserve your wealth. And um, and then also his uh, his family owns a farm that he grew up on. Um, so he was a farmer and he's been helping his father take over and he's starting to move into that role more. So understanding Bitcoin better is just going to be great for him. And, and uh, you know, he understands the, the hard assets and all that kind of stuff. So we get into that, see how it could help the farm. You know, I, met, I point him towards untapped growth, something he should check out with the, their uh, farming, communal farming that they're trying to do. Um, and uh, it was interesting to get his perspective as he's starting to, you know, step into these waters. And also uh, with the Olympics right around the corner, I wanted to get his, you know, hear what it was like to be in the Olympic Village and, and be an Olympian, um, something that not many people get to do in their lives. So if you uh, want to reach out to me, the show email is Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast at gmail.com. And then the show's Twitter handle is at Bitcoin Simply. And then I did start a personal one begrudgingly, but it is at Tusik Corey. That's T-U-C-E-K-C-O-R-Y. Uh, I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Um, so there might be some farm noises in the background. Yeah, where there's birds chirping and maybe some oh, song going on. Is that loud? No, no, that's not no, bad. That's not bad. No. Okay, that, that's my uh, that's my future because um, oh, I did I did like two podcasts on my back porch because uh, we're in our current house. I don't have an office anymore my office okay. turned into a bedroom um and company wise we're looking at where we're going to have a like permanent office i'm building one mm. in a new house but that new nice. house is going to be on like a lot of land Sweet. and yeah it's going to be so much better i mean i actually have to get like a legit like tractor like mower and all that kind of stuff so yeah that's awesome it's so fun just ripping around here when you have a little land you can kind of do what you want where are you at? You're Alberta? Yeah, just outside Edmonton, about 45 minutes just out of okay. the country here. You're in Pennsylvania, is it? Yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I looked you up quick and saw, saw you're down yeah. there. Yeah. You didn't, see, you didn't see my player profile, my hockey player profile, did you? I didn't come across that one. Uh, must be hidden in the back pages, maybe. Yeah, well, that's what happens whenever you don't get drafted and then don't progress <laughs> beyond uh, AC, uh, the club level uh, division one. So, you know, yeah. but, uh, well, that's that's not bad, too. There's some really good club teams down there, too. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've I've told a lot of people that it's one of, it's it's a weird thing, like whenever you 
play in the club level and then you know you tell people you played hockey but you don't want to like kind of come in and be like oh i'm this great player i played college because like there's a lot of people that do that that are like i played college and they want to leave it open to imagination like oh did you play for you know notre dame did you play for you know you were some big d1 school um so like i always preface it with like it's it was club you know but it like you said there's some really good players in there um yeah and we had like uh and actually i had like a junior college i did for like a year and a half and we had we had one of the best teams i was ever on and it was a lot of kids who were like we were trying to figure out where we wanted to play um and you know like a handful of our team like we've been drafted by the ohl um you know so i mean it was like one of the best teams one of the kids played at uh shattuck st mary's with sid uh, with crosby And then, cool. like, he was on our team. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, so it's, it is, yeah, it, but you know, I mean, you played uh, college, so I'm sure you've seen, cause yeah. a lot of kids in the club, they're the ones that like just miss out on mm. like varsity scholarships and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. You want to, you want to keep playing still when you go to school, a lot of those guys. So it's a good so way I, for them to keep playing. And I, I actually stretched my career out over five years because, I mean, I was self-aware enough to know that if unless I wanted to play in like the ECHL and like I had no shot of making the NHL, you know, so that wasn't yeah, yeah. going to happen. Um, so I stretched my college career out over five years. Like, oh, nice. I, yeah, I did like 12 credits a semester. It was wonderful. Yeah, um, that's sweet. Yeah. No, <laughs> like no pressure from school. Just literally play hockey and yeah. live my life. Yeah, um, that's that's kind of what I try to do. I I did four years, but I did some summer classes and took a couple classes before I went to college that I transferred into. So, so I made it. Especially by the end, it was pretty clear sailing, which was nice. Just yeah. focus on the hockey, and yeah, that's kind of what I was there for too. The school part didn't interest me as much mm-hmm. back then. <laughs> but <laughs> yep, no, it's, yeah, I, it's I if it wasn't for hockey, I wouldn't have gone to college. Probably, I probably would have okay. just started creating stuff. Or yeah, um, yeah, you know what? What college did you go to? Uh, Pitt University of Pittsburgh. Oh, I oh, did right, right there. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So that'd yeah. be a pretty big school, though. Yeah, yeah, we were at the time coming off the tailing off basketball wise. We were pretty good, but. Uh, like football we had when i was there darrell revis was there Lashawn mccoy um i mean a handful of other guys that went on to the league um they did okay yeah, the, the best part was we we upset west virginia they were trying to go for the national championship um oh, yeah. and Pitt was like four and four and seven or something like that and beat them yeah. in the last game wow. of the year like an upset and ruined their dreams so that was my <laughs> That was my big highlight at college, but, um, but yeah, so you went to Merrimack. Um, what what was that like? I loved it. It was, it was a small school. Uh, I think we only had about 2,500 students, but, uh, it was awesome for me just growing up on a farm and kind of coming from a small area. And then it kind of made it easier for me, I think too, just to adjust being away from home and going to a smaller community kind of minded place. So, uh, that was that was nice. Made the transition easier, and well, we actually had a couple of really good teams too. That started out really rough first couple of years, but 
last couple of years, we really, we had some good recruits and kind of turned it on. It was, it was an underdog school. So we weren't expected to do that well, but uh, yeah. So that ended up in being really fun. And yeah, I love the, love the campus, just knowing everyone hanging out with everyone all day and uh, just going to the rink. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll drift back and forth between hockey and Bitcoin. Um, Sounds good. Cause I'm, I'm curious. Uh, the reason I, I've, you know, I saw, I'm like, okay, I, I could talk hockey with somebody because not yeah. a lot of people in the Bitcoin world do, but I think we were in back-to-back nights in the same Twitter spaces. I think that's how I was like, Oh, like I was like, I saw him yesterday in a oh. Twitter space. Uh, okay. And so that's why I reached out to you. Um, yeah. So are you, where are you in the Bitcoin? Are you learning about it? How, how's, where are you at in the Bitcoin journey? I'm pretty early right now, but definitely recently I've been really, really going down the rabbit hole on it. Like I'm sure a lot of people are recently with, with it being in the news more, but uh, yeah, so it's still in the learning stages, but I feel like I've picked up so much lately that I actually understand a lot of the principles of it. It's not just uh, something you're trying to make, make a quick buck on. It's a lot more than that. So that's, what's really interests me about it, but uh, I had a roommate my first year pro it was 2012 2013 he was already getting into it and I didn't really know much about it at the time and can you uh, dox that, him or it, it, can you yeah. say who it was yeah I don't I don't know if he would care uh, uh Barry Goers is his name he's he's a hockey player who's he retired a couple of years ago now but we're good buddies and now he's he's really into the whole blockchain crypto world and i talked to him recently again and uh he said he's done super well obviously because he was into it early and definitely was kicking myself for not uh, listening to him more back then but uh it's cool to see just someone like that who understood it early on and actually took the time to learn about it and uh but yeah it's even though i'm later to the game of actually understanding it it's uh i think it's still early and yeah it's something that i believe in so it's uh yeah i think it's going to be a big part of the the future too so then you get you sound like you're somebody that is kind of fully into the school of sound money and like you know hard assets all that kind of stuff um yeah and and uh talk a little bit about that do you have like a background in that or just is that something that when you heard about it, it made complete sense to you, especially seeing the government's print money like crazy. Yeah, I think it's definitely come more into the light with with the current economic situation going on. So it makes makes a lot more sense to me that way. But uh, yeah, at Merrimack, I took business, which, like I said, wasn't super into at the time. It was all hockey. But looking back, I think uh, it's something I'd be a lot more interested in now. And I'm starting to see the see things that I didn't see before and uh yeah now that my hockey careers it's coming to an end now it's it's made me really look at what else I'm interested in and uh so it's kind of freed up more time and energy to get into other things that I'm interested in and this has definitely been one of those areas that's really intrigued me so yeah like you said it's 
sound money and ways to invest the money that I've made over my career and hockey careers are, aren't very long in the grand scheme Mm -hmm. of things. So there's a lot of my life left and, uh, yeah, it's something that I'd like to steward well, what, what I've earned already. And, um, yeah, I, I really like a lot of the principles of it. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny with athletes cause you know, that money's great when it happens at first. Yeah. Um, and then, and then it, uh, tends to go away pretty quickly. Um, yeah. you know, and, uh, but yeah, if you're smart, I, I was talking to, I think I mentioned this to Sean, but Sean Calkin, but for some reason, um, the NFL seems to be the one that's like worst at managing money. Like it has nothing to do with race or anything like that because like basketball, they're really good at managing their money. Baseball, like you don't hear anything, mm-hmm. but like to me, I don't know. It's just, you seem to hear more stories of NFL players that like, you know, they buy like a Bentley for their first training camp and then like yeah. they're, they're bust, you know, a couple of years later. Um, but hockey's yeah. always been pretty responsible too, I think. Um, what, what do you think that comes from? Is it just you know, part of the culture Do they teach that like getting into the NHL and stuff like that. Do they have like resources for you to, to learn how to preserve your wealth? And yeah, it's interesting. I think, uh, the, the players association does a pretty good job of, uh, making you aware of some of the resources that they have available for, for our use. So there was always the 401k plan that they had and, um, trying to provide some education with how to manage money because it is it is pretty crazy, especially guys who are young guys who are all of a sudden just coming into a lot of money and just not having that education or of knowing how to manage it. Even the, just our standard education system doesn't really really teach you a lot of how to manage your money. So uh, yeah, I think because they don't want you to know how to manage your money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it seems like it uh it's it's hard to know exactly all the motives that are in it but it seems like uh you would want to know those practical things that you actually need to use in life but doesn't seem like a huge part of it um so yeah i don't know what it is in hockey there's uh it definitely happens to guys there too where there's uh, a lot of irresponsible decisions made as well but um there's a lot of really good guys that i've met over the years that are pretty grounded guys and humble and respectful and just a lot of uh, really solid guys that don't try to get the spotlight or try to draw attention to themselves. It seems like a pretty, pretty good culture overall that way. And I think that just kind of leads into other areas of life and wanting Mm -hmm. to manage things that uh, they've been given and earned too. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, so with your hockey career, um, you know, we can get we'll kind of walk through, but at what point do you think you realized you maybe had a shot to make it to the NHL? You know, what age? Because, like, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people, if you're a former hockey player, you know, you can understand. Like, for me, it was, like, literally just, like, running through leagues until, like, 13 or 14, you know? Um, and uh, not, to, not to do a humble brag here, but um, – but it was like, you know, literally the one season, like, like I had, I averaged like over three goals a game, you know, and it's like, you're like 12, 13. I'm like, well, I mean, obviously 
I'm going yeah. to the NHL. Like that's, that's, <laughs> that's what's happening. Um, yeah. And then all of us, all of you that all, everyone that's in that group doing the same thing all over starts to narrow and come together and you're like, Oh wait, that guy, that guy's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, did you have that kind of experience or, you know, when do you think you really clicked like, okay, I might do this. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, all I remember from when I was young was wanting to be a hockey player. So that was always the dream. That's all I wanted to do and very driven and motivated to do it. I think it seemed very far away though. And especially for me, I was an undersized guy and a late developer, late bloomer. So over the years, I just kind of, I wasn't making all the top teams growing up. I was getting cut and having to kind of fight and claw and then, uh, but eventually I think all that hard work just paid off and kind of being an underdog somehow just kept me motivated. And as time went on, just kept moving up. And some of the guys that used to be really good, weren't as good anymore. And I just slowly developed. And as, as each step got taken, I guess, going into junior, it seemed like the next one was college and that seemed like a huge step. But then once I was there, playing well there then it, then it became I think in college was when I realized that the next step was pro and I could see myself actually getting a chance at it so that's where the dream kind of became more reality and uh, yeah I was super thankful to get that opportunity but even in college I, I wasn't drafted I had to I signed a free agent American League deal at the end of that first season and then uh, had a good year in the American League and and was able to sign a two-way NHL contract after that. And yeah, got to get my first call-ups again that year. And it was, it was pretty cool just uh, fulfilling that dream of, of finally getting there. So, uh, yeah. So what was that like the first time stepping onto the ice of an NHL game? Like, you know, a legit, not preseason, you know, like we are like, okay, this, this is going in the books. This is, you know, like I'm officially – an NHL player like what's that feeling like yeah it was a pretty crazy story the way it happened I we were in Rockford playing a game on a Friday night I think and after the game just got back to the hotels about midnight starting to go to go to bed I was just scrolling through my Twitter and then I saw I had a mention so I went and looked at it and uh it was some journalist in Colorado saying Colorado Avalanche was calling up Carl Stoller and I was like, I thought it was fake at first. I like, what, what is this? Not wasn't thinking about it at all. And uh, then five minutes later, I got a call from my American league coach said, come, come to my room. So I went over there and they, they told me I was being called up. I was playing in Minnesota the next night. So it was bad. It was actually a tough timing because I, I just stared at the ceiling all night. It was, oh, was yeah. so excited and so nervous. Uh, so I didn't sleep a wink that night and just had to hop in a car, go to the Chicago airport, I think, flew into Minnesota, try to get a quick nap in. And yeah, then I was on the ice that night playing Minnesota. And so it happened so fast that it didn't really have time to sink in. But yeah, just stepping out for that first shift was such an awesome feeling. And my dad got to come down from Alberta too. He, he made oh, a quick awesome. trip, so it was really special to have him there to be a part of it. And yeah, something I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. I always love that kind of stuff. Um, like, I don't know if you remember like with the family getting to 
to see it, you know, and be there for the first game. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, do you remember a handful of years ago when Jake Gensel uh, broke in with the Pens and it was his first game, and in his first shot he scored and like yeah. cut to his brother and his parents and his brother was yeah. like crying in the stands, oh, you know. Man. And so it's cool. like it's like people don't understand like how much you know because even how much parents go through like no matter if they make it pro or not you know like um like i've told people before that you know my last game like we got so we got eliminated and then we had the opportunity to do an exhibition game and like everybody knew like that i needed one more game so everybody was like yeah let's do this and um and then like the last 10 minutes of the game my coach was like if you don't need to come off don't you know and i just stayed out there (laughs) and like and i literally like bawled the entire time like i was like crying you know just trying to hold it together and enjoy it and um and then i remember at the end you know getting off the ice um and my parents met me at the at the door there like right before the locker room you know and like you know they were crying and you know just like mm. there's like these big hugs and like these moments where you're like wow like this is yeah this is it man you know like this yeah. they all the time they've spent in rinks waiting for me mm-hmm. to get out of the locker room <laughs> you know yeah yeah so special it's yeah it was it was emotional too for me just seeing my dad's face coming up to the stands after the game and talking to him giving him a hug and you could see it was emotional and that's something I, I don't think parents and families always get the respect they deserve because it's, yeah, I couldn't have never done that without, without a, their love and support over the years. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, I'm sure awesome then your deal. dad would have spent like 10 grand on like everything, you know, it could, they could have been like here, like you can get a ticket to the game, but it's $10,000. But like, yeah. I, whatever I'm going yeah. on. No, it didn't matter at that point. It was whatever flight you could get on, get on it get to the game find a way and yeah it wouldn't have mattered how much it was yeah um so the uh since i'm in pittsburgh you were a part of the sharks organization during the 2015-16 year um and whenever we played each other in the cup finals um so did you get being a part of the organization did you get to be like a part of that or did you get any um like black aces or anything like that yeah i'm pretty sure that that was my uh last year in san jose and i had a few call-ups that year but i didn't actually get in a game i took warm-ups a few times uh yeah so i i wasn't i was in in the city for a lot of that and actually my roommate uh guy i was living with ended up playing with the sharks that year mostly so i went to a lot of the games and was the part of it in that way and playing for the American league team mostly. But uh, yeah, I remember going to the games and how excited the city was. And I was mm-hmm. happy for my roommate. It was, it was tough in a way cause we were both defensemen too. And he, uh, I was kind of like the call up the year before and then he became it that year. So it's mm-hmm. tough, but, but you're still, you're happy for your buddies. Like it's, it's competition. And, but at the same time, you're still friends and, happy for each other so but it was a it was pretty cool to be a part of the organization for that year too Mm -hmm. um so then after that you go so you went from the abs you were with the abs and then got traded to the sharks that's how you got to the sharks yeah yeah i got traded on the trade deadline day actually that year so uh, okay that's when i made the move there yeah um and then you ended up in 
New Jersey, which um, which my brother-in-law, I'll have to tell him later, because my brother-in-law is from New Jersey, and he's a huge oh. Devils fan. Yeah. Um, so I just feel like I was just talking to a Devils player earlier, and, um, you know, uh he'll 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 be jealous but i always tease him i give him the hardest <laughs> time about the devils because they've been so bad yeah. the last couple of years <laughs> yeah not while you yeah. were there no they've been struggling they weren't that was actually one of the reasons it was good timing for me because it, it gave me more of an opportunity with them too because they weren't they weren't as deep at the time so i had a mm-hmm. little bit of a stint with them which was nice for me um now you then moved, made the move to europe um and what's that been like? And I see you played in the KHL a couple of years, and then your last season was with who? With um, sorry, I have it in yeah, my notes. This, no, that's good. This past year was short. I, I went late to Bolzano. It's in the Austrian league. Uh, yeah, this team's in northern Italy, so that's where I played the last few months. But yeah, I was in uh, uh, for Lunda and Sweden the year before, and Jokerit KHL, and then Riga khl year before that so mm-hmm. uh, what's the khl like because um it's got to be i mean russian hockey is it's a different animal than north yeah, american it is yeah yeah and you hear all the stories on spitting chicklets and podcast guys talking about it there's some crazy stories especially from back in the day in the earlier days of it but my experience was awesome. I always tell people just how much I enjoyed it. It was, it was definitely different just uh, seeing a different culture and the way things operate. But I was in two European cities too with Riga and Helsinki. So I wasn't actually playing on a Russian team, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was awesome. It was, I love the hockey, the style of play and just the travel aspect too, just getting to see all these places that I never would have imagined I'd be going to. So yeah, I I've loved my time in Europe and it's been a great experience. Um, so are you um are you planning on to continue playing next year in Europe or I'm actually yeah, I think I'm actually retiring. I haven't really, I haven't even really said anything about it yet. So uh another big announcement here. Yeah, we'll see if I guess uh if anyone hears this we'll uh they'll get to kind of know. But yeah, I've I haven't uh I'll, I'll probably have a little uh, letter or something. All right. Just uh, thanking everyone at some point, but yeah, it's, uh, it's something I've been thinking about for a little while and uh, I'm ready to move on to the next stage uh, of my life now. Um, so what I got asked then, uh, what is that next stage? Uh, does the farm that you're on right now have anything to do with that? Is that where yeah. are you headed? Yeah, that's, that's where I'm at currently. And that's, uh, part of what we're figuring out. My dad's, uh, starting to slow down a bit on the farm and we're making some decisions with that. So it's, uh, it's always fun to come back here and I've been able to help him in the summer a bit in my off season. So that's been nice. And, uh, yeah, it's still kind of open as well. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be doing, but definitely things involved and, in the things I'm interested in crypto being one and farming. And I like having uh, a few different irons in the fire. So uh, it'll be fun just to pursue all those other areas. Yeah. Yeah. All those things that um, I think you'll find, you know, don't get me wrong. It's you still, you'll miss it. Um, Mm. You know, I mean, my mother-in-law asked me like a year ago, she said, do you miss playing? And like, I literally looked and like, was like, what? (laughs) I was like, 
she's like well do you ever think about it i was like every day i was like every day yeah. like like i still tell people i'm a hockey player i'm 35 you know? <laughs> and like yeah. uh, just like yeah I'm like you know like well i'm a hockey player so and then like it, it has nothing to do with the it has we could be talking about how cold it is and i was like oh, i'm a hockey player so i'm used to it you know or whatever yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. no that's um, funny yeah it's, it's all it'll always be a part of us for sure just uh just that plan i'm sure it'll take me a while to get used to saying but, what i am now <laughs> but, but once you open up though like the the pressure to not have to work out as much is nice oh yeah that's true yeah it's it's a grind it's uh a lot of people think uh athletes have it so easy they just get to play this game that they like doing but yeah it's definitely a grind mentally and physically it, it takes its toll on you too in those ways so it's mm-hmm. uh it's almost been a bit of a relief just knowing that I can kind of take it a little easier now and I can just do things I want to do instead of, yeah, it takes a lot of sacrifice to, to maintain a, a career like that too. So it's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's been nice. Yeah. It's still like every year I tell my wife, like whenever the like crickets and stuff start at like the end of July, beginning of August, like I get the like pit in my stomach of like, Oh God, like, here we go. <laughs> I'm going to be like busting my butt now. Like we got to get in shape, got to get out of the summer, you know, out of the summer training. And um, yeah, so it was a big relief, but I still have that Mm -hmm. like PTSD of, (laughs) 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 we had, I know the feeling. Did you ever have, did you guys ever run up ski slopes? Yeah. Yeah. We actually have one in, in cameras, the town I'm from, there's a little ski jump there. So we used to run that hill a lot. Uh Yeah, that's like only yeah. hockey players really understand that. Like, you're like, hey, like, you want to go in the middle of August and run up a ski slope? Like, whenever the grass <laughs> is like knee high, you know, and like, yeah, yeah, it sounds like something I want to do and with yeah. my with my day. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and then so one of the other things I'll probably re- um, try and release this around the Olympics. Um, um, okay. But I have to ask you about your Olympic experience because that's something, I mean, talking about being an NHL player, it's like, that's rare, but like you got to play for team Canada in the Olympics mm-hmm. in 2018. Um, yeah. What was that like? The whole, you know, what was it? How did you find out about getting on the team and all that kind of stuff? Oh uh, yeah. It was crazy. I mean, it's been a few years now and it's still, it's still kind of hard to, have it sink in fully just that I was a part of it it went by so fast and so much fun but yeah it was was crazy because it was the year I was after New Jersey where I was trying to decide if I was going to keep going to North America or look to Europe and do something else so that that hadn't even crossed my mind because there was rumors about uh, NHL players not going to that Olympics that year but yeah it was honestly nothing I was thinking about just because there's so many great Canadian players playing in Europe too. So even with that, it's, it's a tough team to make, but uh, yeah, the year, the year started out well for me in Riga. Our team wasn't doing well, but I was playing well and I got invited to a couple of the tournaments uh, during the season, just leading up to the Olympics that year for Canada and didn't think much of it. Just went, went and had fun and uh, played well. And they just kept inviting me back and, uh, so then it started seeming like, you know, there was a, there was a possibility that I could actually make the team and 
Yeah, it was just after a game at one point during the year where Sean Burke gave me a call and uh, said, "You're you're on the squad. You're you're coming to Korea." So it was <laughs> pretty surreal moments. Just I knew there was a chance, but uh, just hearing that that you made the Olympics for Team Canada was was just an awesome call to get, and yeah, just the whole experience was incredible. Just just the whole team, just guys that have been playing in Europe and a couple of American league guys who none of us would have ever expected to ever get this chance. So it mm-hmm. was just a special moment and we had so much fun, just a great group of guys and first class organization, obviously with team Canada running and things. And uh, yeah, just a unbelievable experience. It was awesome. What was it like being in the Olympics, you know, like the Olympic village and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Even just I've all my life, I've just loved watching the Olympics summer, winter, just sit in front of the TV all day, watching all the sports and even just being able to go watch an Olympics in person would have been super cool. But then to actually participate in it too was uh, next level. But yeah, just, just going all the other events was awesome. Just getting to see things in person and then meeting all the other athletes, just hanging out in the, Olympic Village in the cafeteria. Team Canada had a had a big hangout area where we just got to hang out with all the other athletes and get to know people. Was so just the whole experience was was just something that I'll never forget. And you you got a bronze medal out of it. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Uh, just to just to I have assume a, you still have it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I still got it. That's something I'm going to hang on to, I think. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> I think I'm yeah. holding on to that one for a little bit. Yeah, I still got to open it up once in a while just to take a look to make sure make sure it actually happened. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was awesome because we. what was cool too was all a lot of the countries were pretty even because uh, without NHL players, it made everyone kind of have a shot at it. And uh, so it was very even and it was it was heartbreaking the way the way we lost to Germany and in uh, the quarter or the semis. Um, yeah, it was it was one of those games where it's kind of the perfect storm of things happening that it didn't go our way, and so it was a heartbreaking loss to not make it at the gold medal game. We're we're super looking forward to playing the Russians for gold, but uh, mm-hmm. so that was actually really tough just to able to rebound and regroup to play the bronze medal game but uh yeah all the coaches and leaders and staff just did an amazing job of just bringing us back down to earth saying we're we're we have a chance to win a medal here in the olympics this is a just an amazing opportunity so uh yeah we were able to beat the Czechs in that that bronze game and and come away with a medal so it was uh it was pretty awesome and was Jager playing? Uh, no, no. It's kind of surprising I don't think he, that he didn't. Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. He's playing for some team somewhere. You know? Yeah, I don't know where he was at that point. He's been still still playing in Czech now. So, uh, yeah, I don't think he was on that team. But uh, they still had a ton of great players. That uh, I think the majority of their team was KHL guys. So, mm-hmm. was, uh, yeah, definitely a good um, team. Yeah, so that I actually liked 2018s better than um, the NHL. Like the mm. the 2010 Winter Olympics was pretty special, just 
with how good Team USA was and how good Team Canada was, and Team yeah. USA beating Team Canada in the in the round robin, you know, mm-hmm. and like the sky was falling for Canada, you know, like everybody was yeah. just devastated and then you know to come all the way back and and Sid win it in overtime I mean that's that's one of the few instances where I was like yeah I, I like having the NHL players there but um mm-hmm. but all in all I actually when they announced they were going to have um non-NHL players I thought it's going to be so much better competition and like you yeah. said kind of a level playing field yeah it was yeah no it was cool I think uh a lot of people were sort of skeptical at the start but then just heard a lot of positive reviews after kind of how people in, enjoyed it because it was a unique thing and uh just hearing all the stories of our personal backgrounds and where we came from and all the all the little storylines along with it was uh was pretty unique did the did canada do like any kind of big celebration for you guys coming back with the bronze medal or they have you at like any games or anything like that uh there's in alberta here we we went to an oilers game all the alberta i think it was just alberta olympians went to an oilers game and we went to the the legislature in edmonton the capital and talked to some politicians and then we were all invited to ottawa at some point too so they did some things some things like that i wasn't at that one but uh yeah it was cool just to have some recognition and be honored and just uh be a part of those things too I uh, say so let me so you got to be did you grow up an Oilers fan? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was uh it's either Calgary or Edmonton in Alberta, but we were we were closer to Edmonton, so that's who we were pulling for. So get you were too young for Gretzky. Yeah, I was I was born kind of right in the last of the the glory years there, so I yeah, no no memories of it, but it's still a, a huge part of this area. So you won't be offended that I think Mario's better than Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I understand that. He's uh, well, I, he, what I always say is debate. He he's he's the most talented player that ever lives. Mario is. Um, yeah, Gretzky is obviously, you know, maintained his health and and didn't you yeah. know have health problems and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. longevity, he had more time and obviously put up more numbers than anybody. But yeah. um. But yeah, they're, you know, both different. It's just, they used to, when I'd go to the the Toronto International Film Festival, they had Mm. uh, Gretzky's restaurant there. And I used to always get the 99 burger, but have them serve it to me upside down. So it was a 66. (laughs) That's awesome. They were like, what are you going to do if Wayne's here? I was like, I don't care. I'll tell tell him, wait, I'll tell Wayne to his face. Um, Yeah. You got to stick to your guns. You got to stay loyal. Yeah, no, but I would, I mean, that's no disrespect to him. Um, no, no, I don't. But uh, I don't think he would take any. How did uh, how did the Edmonton area handle this uh, recent sweep that they experienced? I can't imagine it went over too well. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't even follow it that close, really. But uh, yeah, just the way it's always been, it's it's a Canadian hockey city, so you know, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny and uh, people complaining and. And talking mm-hmm. about it, and it's been pretty rough here for Oilers fans for quite a while. So it's uh, kind of what well, what everyone's been used to for a while now. But 2006 though was great. I was rooting. I was rooting mm-hmm. for you guys. Um, that had to have been probably like one of your last chances as like a like before you went pro to like actually yeah. root for the Oilers. 
Yeah, that's probably what I when I would have still been cheering a little bit back in those days. And was that was that the Carolina? Yeah, Carolina. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. No, I remember that. There's Edmonton, I think it was the blue mile where just tons of people would come out on the street and watch the game and have big celebrations. So yeah, it was cool to to watch it from afar, even though I was uh I was probably at school at that point down east. Mm-hmm. Um so with a uh, back to Bitcoin. Um, so what, and I'm here to like, it's obviously Bitcoin made simple. So yeah. I'm trying to make it as simple as possible and, um, and like kind of be the dumbest person out there and asking questions. So if you're learning about it, do you have any questions? Like where are you at on your learning journey? Like maybe I could answer some basic things or we could just kind of throw some things back and forth, some concepts. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, you know, like El Salvador? I think that's when we were both in that room, right? Yeah. The... Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. That the other night, that was kind of a random thing, just uh, following Nick Carter and saw that there was a live little room going on. So I clicked on it and uh, yeah, it was small at first. There was like 5,000 people, I think, but then all of a sudden the president of El Salvador popped on <laughs> there and some, some big, uh, kind of crypto leaders in the space and then there's like 22,000 people I think at one point listening to it so yeah it was random but yeah that's the kind of stuff that's so cool about it is just things like that happening where there's no uh, plan really it just kind of happens and you just get a, a president of the country that's adopting bitcoin and just talking to talking just to us having a like casual us. conversation <laughs> yeah so that was awesome that's what's so interesting about it to me just a lot of the same kind of like-minded individuals too just that uh really agree and believe in in the principles of it so uh yeah that was cool just getting a message from you just just seeing me in that room too and then i got a message from another hockey guy who was in there too just and we started chatting about it which was pretty fun uh mm-hmm. as well so yeah, no, I'm like I said, I'm not pretending to know everything about it right now, but uh, yeah, just some of the key concepts, just offering that freedom, just the being sovereign. I think that's where travels opened my mind a lot too, just playing over in Europe and uh, just uh, the ability to see different cultures and the way people think and act and uh, just some of the, the basic things that humans enjoy and uh just what what this whole uh bitcoin space provides to so many people especially people who are uh in areas of the world that that are very unequal and this provides them a way to uh have more of a level playing field i think too so uh yeah no i questions for you i think it's just i think it'd just be fun to to go back and forth a little bit and talk about i i mean are you uh are you pretty early into it too or is it more recent um so i yeah i did i started paying attention to it in 2013 um that's the first time it came 2012 it was 100 bucks a coin and i told my wife that we were planning our honeymoon and i said we can go we can we were going for 10 days i said we could shorten it to seven and i could buy a thousand dollars worth of bitcoin um which would have been 10 coins uh and i decided against it and we went for those extra three days, which no matter how priceless, you, your honeymoon is priceless. So yeah. 
you know, I'm testing that. I get to prove that theory because literally (laughs) the price of those 10 Bitcoin that we could have had are going to continue to go up and up and up. So it's like right now, like that was like 300,000, $350,000 that uh, we spent on those extra three days, but it was priceless. And (laughs) when it reaches a million, I'll say the same thing. Um, But, uh, (laughs) but the, um, but yeah, then it kind of like went away for a little bit. And, and then last year, or well, no, 2018, I was talking with my brother-in-law's friend about it. And, um, and he was really into Ethereum. Um, you know, he owned both. Um, and so that kind of like piqued my interest. And I was kind of like poking around like the differences. And then, um, and then last year, whenever the money printer, like right when COVID hit, I was like, this is going to be a problem. They're going to print yeah. money and yeah. there's going to be devastating consequences for that. Um, so that I initially, I put in like a little bit of money. Like I, I came walking out of my home office and told my wife, I said, we own Bitcoin now. And she was like, what? Um, and I just did enough where it was like, we're going to feel it. Like if it went down, like I'm, yeah. I didn't want to put a lot in, but I wanted to put enough in where it was like, if I lost money, I'd like, oh man. Um, Mm-hmm. And it started to go up. So then I think it, I think it was at like 8,000. Then it ticked up close to like 10. And I'm like, Hey, what's going on here? Um, and then I learned about the having yeah. and how the supply gets suffocated. And then I learned yeah. about the quantitative easing that's been happening. That's yeah. been propping up the market. Um, I don't know if you know about that or um, I don't even know exactly how quantitative easing works. I just know that they basically have been printing money mm-hmm. since 2008 yeah. Yeah. um and yeah it was like at that point i think oh, i forget what the number was maybe like 40 percent of the dollars in circulation pre-covid didn't exist prior mm-hmm. to 2008 yeah. and i was like how's this happening and nobody knows um and so that was like i, I panicked and that was like 401k everything, everything got shoved into Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so then I, I put all that in there and I just started listening to tons of podcasts. Um, and I enjoyed that like meteoric rise. Like, I mean, it just, it was like one of the best times to get in and just go Mm -hmm. all in. Um, but then I, I still even just like recently I put like, I keep going even more and more in, like I had a lot of stuff out, on other things that was coming back. And I was like, as soon as this cash comes, I'm flushing it right into to Bitcoin. Um, so I don't even know if, I don't think I'm positive at this point. I think I'm like cl- getting close to like even, but I'm like trying yeah. to, I'm trying to lose money. Cause I want to have that respect <laughs> in the Bitcoin community where they're like, yeah, yeah man, you held through the tough times. Yeah, like, exactly. You're, you're, you're a strong hand, not a weak hand. Yeah, they gotta have those diamond hands. So yeah, so yeah, that's exactly. where I um I was doing that, and and then I just yeah with the podcast, I I figured this is like the best way to learn about it is like to have conversations with people about it. And you mm-hmm. know, during COVID, when we're all stuck, like where what am I gonna do? How am I gonna get yeah. to talk to other people? So um yeah, so yeah, yeah so I'm I'm like it, it's fun because I'm talking to people like you know, you like that you're getting into it. Um, I talked to a buddy of mine who like owned some, but mm-hmm. had like not much knowledge about it. Um, 
and you know he was like trying to learn from me um and then i'm getting i've got like uh jeff booth who's from he's actually from vancouver um, yeah uh had him on and like you know it was just like mind-blowing the stuff that he was like his understanding of like have you uh, followed him or yeah he's one of my favorite guys to listen to right now i've been just listening to everything it's yeah you should check out his book uh have you read the book um i haven't read it yet i've i've kind of got most of the concepts i think just from all his podcasts that he's been putting out but uh yeah yeah, i definitely need to read the whole book too though yeah he's yeah he's awesome and his understanding of like deflation like because what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that like you work in a farm so yeah you know you guys see technology taking over like i talked to him about i said for example if i go to target and Mm -hmm. target used to have cashiers and now they have all the automated checkout so that made you know that makes sense that the price should go down like inflation makes sense i said if if there was automated checkout checkouts at grocery stores in the 80s and then they decided to like add a cashier so they were like, well, now we have to charge you, you know, 15 extra cents per loaf of bread to pay for that cashier. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. And then they go, well, we can't, we have to have a bagger now too. So, you know, we got to charge you more, but now it's like this yeah. inverse, but what, what's that like? Are you seeing that in the farm industry? Like it's gotta be because so much is getting, going from hand labor to mechanical. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it seems to be everywhere and farming is no different it's uh it's something i've i haven't really learned a ton about yet either just just being so hockey focused my whole life i haven't been super involved in the actual business side of the farm but um all yeah it's commodities right like all this grain that we grow it's commodities and prices are constantly fluctuating for all our inputs too for fertilizer and herbicides and all these things and then uh yeah, just based on world events too. A lot of it's China, what what China's doing on tariffs or what we're mm-hmm. doing to them on tariffs. So it's it's just constantly moving the everything involved in farming too. So yeah, we've seen everything going up in that too. Right now the prices are are going higher and everything over the years has just been inflating and inflating and it's i guess it's something i never really looked into i just thought oh this is how it works and i know i thought the, the same system. thing i didn't really know enough about it to uh, really understand it but now yeah now it's obviously brought more into the light currently and it's uh, it's really affecting things a lot more than it used to i think and i'm i'm sure the number of farm hands you needed you know back in the 80s 70s you know and even you know if you're you know a generational farmer you know grandparents and stuff like that probably had many more farmhands than what you actually need now because of the number of you know i mean over 100 years ago or whatever before you know the internal combustion engine like there's no tractors so like people were how were they seeding fields you know like yeah yeah it's crazy to see the progress in it. My great grandpa started this farm and then my grandpa and now my dad and yeah, just seeing the advancement from when it started to what it is now, it's, it's pretty mind blowing. Just even just going out and operating the equipment right now, it's, it's got GPS, it's got auto steer. So a lot of the time I'm, I'm just turning on the ends. When I get to the end of the field, I, I have to turn it 
and then mm-hmm. but I just get it onto the line, press a button, it sets its line, and it just drives, and I'm just kind of sitting there. So, and it's it's rapidly advancing with that too. There's starting to be autonomous uh, machinery as well that just can go out there as a robot and and do a lot of things. So it's it's cool to see the technology advancing, and that's what I like about Jeff Booth stuff too. Is this should be this technology advancement should be causing deflation, right? But it mm-hmm. seems like it has to be propped up by inflation, by manipulation through what the central banks are doing. And it's just kind of propping up the the system that we've been in, but it, it mm-hmm. doesn't really make sense. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, it's almost like you're starting to realize it's like a form of enslavement. And um, yeah. And uh, you know, like I look at it as, in the very broad, in a very broad sense of like, you know, let's say um, expenses are getting too much or whatever and, or, and there's too much automation. So like, you know, your, your father might have to let go some farm hands or like cut their hours. Um, And, but that should be, he should be able to do that and it doesn't harm them because things cost less. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, I forget, I think Jeff Booth mentioned it in a podcast recently, but um, uh, what, who was it that uh, was talking about the theory and saying that like our grandchildren, there's somebody in the thir- 1930s, they said our grandchildren should only be working 15 hours a week mm. based on advancement. Yeah. And, and it's so true when you think about it, you know, it's like, yeah. it, you should be able to let farmhands go in a way or be like, Hey, look, I'm going to cut your hours down to 20 hours a week. Um, and that's a great thing. Good news is you can still afford everything you need to afford and you work less and enjoy your life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's wrong with that? That's, uh, that's what we should be getting to. I I like the concept I've been hearing lately too. uh, time billionaire or time millionaire. Oh yeah. You're freeing up your time, right? You, so you can do the things that you enjoy doing and, you don't have to be a slave to your job just to, to get by. It's just a way to free up your time. And that's kind of what's led me to this, this area too, just starting to learn about real estate and things too, about how those guys think and it's ways of creating passive income so that it frees up their time so they can do the things they really enjoy mm-hmm. and put family first, prioritize relationships and, all the things that are most important in life. And mm-hmm. I think just that it all kind of flows together into all of these concepts. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And like that, that time billionaire theory is, is so great. Um, I was lucky to like have that rap, like kind of burn into my mind early. Like mm. I didn't, it wasn't the same like full concept, but I just was like, I refuse to work like for a job and um yeah. and uh i just uh, the the episode i released this week was with um um aaron ingles who's a uh, amateur golfer uh mm. down here in the states and he um and he put it so well he said if you have a job then like you are your own product and you only have one customer that's willing mm. to pay you for your time like your time yeah. is your product and whoever your boss is that's your only customer and right. that's a really bad way to have a bit bu- run a business if you have you're dependent on one customer yeah yeah um that's so true. yeah that's a good way yeah that's like you said like having a couple irons in the fire that's like 
the yeah. way to go, you know, like you don't want to yeah. dive one in, into one thing and, um, mm-hmm. you know, you got to kind of grow multiple things and not be a slave to anything. I call it like yeah. a mental, a mental prison that people get stuck in, you know, they're, yeah. they're like, a, they're just nine to five and that's their yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, just seeing, different generations too right like the older generation it's just kind of the way they're brought up and what they know so Mm -hmm. it just it feels like that's what you're supposed to do that's what you need to do and it's kind of a it's a big paradigm shift when you start getting into tim ferris too four hour work week that was another book Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed and just like you don't have to live this way where you just scrape and claw your whole life till you're 65 and then you can retire and by that time you're you're too old to do a lot of the things that you wanted to do earlier anyway so why not shift your paradigm and start doing things right now that you enjoy and just figure out how to do it start with your why and then figure out how to do it no exactly because you know think about how backwards it is like tomorrow isn't guaranteed and yeah you have to plan for the future but like this social security thing like i was thinking about with um like my uncle sadly passed away like 10 years ago and he passed away i want to say like less than a year after he retired Mm. you know and i was like so first of all that just sucks in general but it's tough um but like you work your whole life because they you know and i i've this is one of my working theories is that like like mine and yours parents generation is like going to go down as one of the most screwed over generations of of all time Um, because like, you know, we made them go to like a pointless war, like Vietnam. Um, They've lived through hyperinflation. They Mm -hmm. got stuck on like, you know, eating bad food and not knowing that it was bad for them and all that kind of stuff. And then they also just had it built into them that like, yeah, you work X number of hours all the way until you turn 65 and then you retire. Um, Yeah so they paid that social security the whole time. And then if you die, you don't get to use it. Yeah. So they just, yeah. that money's just gone. You yeah. Know, it's, it's, yeah. Disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another thing is that I enjoy about Bitcoin is just, it's yours. It's your personal responsibility. It's yeah. It's verifiable. It's portable, durable, scarce, all these things that, you keep it's it in your, your personal head. property. It's your, it's your property rights, which is uh, you're not giving it to someone else to control and kind of just have to rely on what they do with it. Yeah. And one thing I was looking at too, with that El Salvador bill is if you do, um, if you spend Bitcoin down there, three Bitcoin, you get it to be a permanent resident. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Um, and I was thinking to myself like, Oh, we, you know, start up like a mining rig or something um, yeah. on the volcanoes. <laughs> That's so cool. I've been watching those videos. It's unreal. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but you know, it, it's like you said, with it being like property that can't be taken from you, is yeah. it like, I feel like more pe- do you think more people are going to start making it legal tender, at least smaller countries? Cause you know, in the U S and Canada, it's, if you withdraw it, it's capital gains tax, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. It seems like there's already other countries that are are going to follow suit, it looks like. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with regulation. But yeah, even just how different countries are treating it and 
that's that's one thing that I've I guess being a Canadian too I've been able to be a non-resident and living in other countries whereas an American you for tax you you pay tax no matter what wherever you are but uh, yeah so seeing some of the countries treated differently too is, is appealing and it's going to draw that investment into the country I think when mm-hmm. they start adopting things like this it's gonna it's gonna have a huge positive effect on jurisdictions that are supporting it and drawing investors to it yeah i mean i even saw somebody last night say they were like hey three bitcoin for permanent residency in el salvador it's great but costa rica it's like sixty five thousand dollars to be a permanent resident okay yeah yeah and i'm like you know i I saw somebody i did it's funny i did this and and then i saw somebody else write down they said i didn't have um googling gun ownership rights in El Salvador on my June 2021 bingo card, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. There <laughs> and we I are. was like, I was like, well, yeah, I, I literally did it like 10 minutes before I saw that tweet. It was yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Man. Yeah. It's like, cool. Just learning all this new stuff and seeing things come out. And the thing I like about it is that it's like, you know, people like me and you, and like yesterday I talked to, um, uh, this guy Javier down in um, Venezuela, you know, and it's like everybody I was told my wife yesterday, I said, everybody I talked to that's like into this is like, there are people that could like all hang out together. You yeah, know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. And yeah. Like, that's what I love about it. The community of it too. Yeah. It's like, they all get along so well because yeah, we're the type of people that are okay with people having different opinions. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, except not, if you're not trying to force our views on anyone, just it's um, uh, relatable. So, I haven't even asked, what do you guys farm up there? Uh, yeah, our main crops are wheat, peas, canola, and barley. That's that's normally the, the four big ones in this area, so that's kind of what we stick to. So, I drink a lot of what you guys farm, a, <laughs> yeah. a lot of barley and wheat, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly that's that's our hope we we want to get the malt barley so that's the that's the stuff that gets used for beer um oh man i have now i want to come up there and just like start home brewing in your farm <laughs> and uh, uh did you get frozen there i think we're frozen uh, i think we froze for yeah a second there. we're back um uh so do you guys uh, do home brewing up there? I I haven't gotten into it. I've uh I've done some of the other stuff like kombucha and fermenting mm-hmm. vegetables and stuff, but uh well, yeah, especially that's, while that's you're still playing, like you can while you're still playing, you can't drink a lot of beer. Yeah, exactly. You got to that could be a dangerous road to go down. Maybe now now's the time to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> the uh have you seen um his name on twitter is untapped growth and i I don't think so um look up uh i'll send you the link afterwards but for anybody listening um john vallis uh he has bitcoin rapid fire i don't know if you've heard his podcast before um he i think is he lives all over but was for covid stuck in i think near like newfoundland or something like that um and uh and he had these two guys on their farmers um and i think one of them's in 
like the uh, Alberta province. Mm-hmm. And they are working on getting Bitcoiners together to like uh, for the beef industry. Okay. To like help manage that. So it's something that you probably would be pretty interested in because, you know, their, their thing is, you know, and I'm sure you see it like, you know, Bill Gates owns more farmland than like anybody else. Yeah. Like, yeah. Seen that kind of, that kind of freaks me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It makes you want to know what's going on there too. Yeah. Like, are we going to be yeah. eating like synthetic beef or like what? Yeah. You know, no, not as long on. as I'm farming. I'm not, I don't want to let that happen. Do you guys, are you guys like, uh, like an organic farm or how, no, how does that no, work? it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's uh it's conventional. We do have, uh, farmers around us, a couple of them that are organic. Uh, one of our neighbors, I, I used to work at when I was younger, it was a chicken farm and they're fully organic. So they supply a lot of the organic meat around here um but yeah it's it's something it's kind of a little bit of a conflict for me because i myself like to eat organic and uh yeah so i normally wouldn't even be eating the stuff that my this farm has been growing so it's something that that i'm interested in to maybe maybe transition it to to that and i know it would be a huge undertaking but it would also align with more of my beliefs for myself too it's just yeah that's that's the way it's been done for Mm -hmm. my whole uh family's generations it's how most people do it and it's the way that uh it feels like it has to be done to make enough food and there's all these reasons for it but uh yeah Yeah. it would be something that i'd be more interested in exploring now too yeah i mean and again like whenever anybody that's you know in our parents generation i don't want them to think that like we're talking down to them because i i feel like a lot of times they think we are looking at them like how could you do this but that's my my theory of like how they're the most screwed over generation because they didn't know any better you know what i mean like you know gmos and all that kind of stuff there was no data no science on it right and you know so anyone like if you're you know if you're a farmer and you're not organic farming it's like well, how can you can't blame the person like they no yeah no they didn't it's know yeah, until it's, recently that it could be right. bad you know right yeah and it's it's what you're being told and educated on too so it's actually it uh, seems like the right thing to do too based on what you're being told but it's yeah it's it's always a struggle to think critically to know what's true and what's not with that too, just because everything is so controlled by massive companies and that uh, own all the patents, all the seed and all the herbicides and things like mm-hmm. that. So it's, it's when they're the ones funding the studies too, it's, uh, it's kind of difficult to know yeah. what's real and <laughs> what's not. I know. Right. It's, yeah. And then seeing like, you know, that seeds are the um like how they're neutered <laughs> yeah. you know it's just like yeah. when i learned that that was one of those mind-blowing moments because you're like well yeah no you should be able to take an apple and take the seeds out of it plant them yeah. and yeah. grow the food right but you can't because they manipulated it <laughs> like, yeah yeah that's no, a problem it is yeah yeah i think it's it takes time to uh 
realize those things in the long term i think too in the short term it's tough because you haven't seen the long-term effects or evidence but yeah might be seeing that a bit more now yeah you'll definitely like these guys because um because they are ta- they were talking about how like to um replenish the land and and take care of the the soil and mm-hmm. you know make sure that it um you know produces better but like you're not over producing on the land and yeah. you know properly shifting um yeah. you know th- to give you an idea of how like you know dumb i am like and i'm not from like the city city but like you know and not a farmer at all and then we go mm-hmm. we're driving around looking at land and, <laughs> and yeah i said yeah. to my wife i said i said look at all this land like this is like a farm nearby but they're not using this land like so we should just go ask them if we can buy some of it and she was like, <laughs> she yeah, was like it's they, easy she's like, they, they rotate the crops like they like, yeah she's like there's, yeah. A, there's that land isn't being farmed this summer yeah. because the, they're rotating and i was like yeah she grew up out there so she was like i was like i, I don't know I... <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot that goes into it that most people don't know about yeah that's one of the big things is crop rotation you need you can't just keep growing the same thing the same piece of dirt over and over it needs to it be starts stripping the nutrients right yeah yeah exactly so it's it, there's so many things that go into it so i that's what i've enjoyed too just i have a different perspective i think too just growing up on a farm but then living in a lot of big cities and playing with a lot of people who know nothing about farming it's pretty cool just uh <laughs> like they it's kind of mind-blowing for them when it's like you grew up on a farm like what <laughs> what is that and uh yeah so it's been kind of fun having some of those conversations over the years i kind of get to see it from both perspectives too uh how many acres do you guys have uh this year we're doing about three thousand acres uh, yeah some of it's rented uh decent amounts owned but uh yeah it's kind of for the prairies out here it would be considered uh maybe a small below like below average farm kind of in that area there's there's some Mm -hmm. huge farms and that's that's the way farming's kind of gone it's used to be a lot of people with a lot of farms but now it's not very many people with really big farms so it's it's kind of been scaled to large scale uh companies basically operating farms but yeah it's that's the the great thing about it is it's people always need to eat it's uh just always a necessary thing so it's been a a good industry obviously providing Mm -hmm. food for people yeah um all right well i'll I'll let you go i don't want to hold you up i'm sure your dad's probably waiting for you to get back out in the field (laughs) yeah there's always work here it never ends yeah, you never uh um did you ever you know the comedian um oh my god, why is it I've talked to him and why is his name? Uh he uh he talks about the he had a special on Amazon called Where the Field Corn Grows. Okay. And um he's from like Missouri. Um and uh and he said that he was like, I drive around the country and I see he's like, you know, it gets so late out night at night. And I don't see any farmers out there like still working till like the sun goes down. And he's yeah. like, don't give me, he's like, didn't we have this daylight saving so you guys could work more? <laughs> he's like, 
He's like, I don't want to. He's like, we were all sad for six months because of the yeah. sun going down at four o'clock because of you guys. So you better be That's out there so working. Funny. Yeah, I gotta find that one. I haven't heard that one. My dad would love that. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, and I'll, awesome. I'll I'll try and uh, I'll make sure I send you that link. But I'll um, yeah uh, to the podcast too. But I'll um I'll send over um uh, uh I'll send it over. Uh, maybe try to connect you guys too because they're. Yeah, they're really into, you know, um, like they want to invest in that. They want to, they're bringing in investors. They're, okay. you know, so if you're looking to transition, they'd probably be good guys to talk to. And help yeah, out. no, definitely. I'll look out for that. That's something I'd be really interested in. Um, and yeah, where like, where can people find you? Just on, on Twitter where you're lurking? Is that where you're lurking? Yeah, I don't, I don't even use Twitter really. Like I don't tweet anymore. I used to. I, I didn't even look when my last tweet was, but, uh, but I like it because it seems like a lot of the Bitcoin guys are on there. So I mostly just follow guys. But uh, yeah, I think it's Staller EK. If anyone wants to yeah. wants to chat on there, I'm always looking to meet new people and talk to talk to anyone who's interested in this stuff too. So yeah, awesome. Well, hey, thanks for coming on, Carl. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.